This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's become commonplace for our patients to provide feedback on their healthcare experience. This feedback can evaluate their perceived quality of care they received, as well as various characteristics of their healthcare provider, such as their communication skills, ability to listen, and so forth. While this data has been used to improve the quality of care delivered, it's also been linked to healthcare facility reimbursement, provider compensation, and even potential for promotions. There is evidence that the clinician-level data can be influenced by a variety of factors, including patient health outcome, as well as various attributes of the provider. And this raises the question of the validity of this patient experience data and how it's being used to influence the practice of medicine. Our guest today is Dr. Kenneth Poole, an internist at Mayo Clinic, Arizona. In addition to his general internal medicine clinical responsibilities, Dr. Poole is also the medical director of patient experience for the Mayo, Arizona campus. We're going to be discussing a very interesting article written by Dr. Poole, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine on February 28, 2019. The article is entitled, Patient Experience Data and Bias, What Ratings Don't Tell Us. Welcome, Kenny, and thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Well, let's start by talking about patient experience data and how important is this to healthcare facilities? Yeah, I think patient experience data is extremely important for several reasons. I think number one, it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, making sure that our patients have a great experience in in healthcare. Um, I, I think it's just one of those things that bottom line is, is a good thing for us to all uh, strive and aim for. I think the second thing is the correlation to patient quality. And, uh, you know, there, there's been associations that when patients have a good experience, uh, that tends to influence outcomes. Now, I think the third thing is just given the consumer-centric nature of healthcare now and uh, the increased competition for market share as healthcare organizations grow in size and complexity, it, it's important for the healthcare system, if you will, uh, to provide good customer service. Well, I know Mayo has been collecting data on us for uh, some time now. Can you review with our listeners how Mayo obtains patient information data? Got it. Yeah, so uh, Mayo obtains patient data uh, primarily through uh, random surveys that are distributed uh, after episodes of clinical care. So when patients are seen in either the inpatient or the outpatient setting, or even um, sometimes miscellaneous settings like ambulatory surgery or skilled nursing facilities, once a physician submits a charge on behalf of Mayo Clinic, that patient then becomes eligible to receive a patient satisfaction survey uh, at random. And uh, uh, then that, that information is then completed by the patient and sent back to us. Usually the surveys are done uh, via email or via uh, U.S. postage mail. And how does Mayo use this data? So we use the data a, a couple different ways. I think, number one, uh, we use it for internal uh, and external benchmarking. So it's important for us to see where we're at uh, and, uh, and, again, compare us amongst 
the sites amongst divisions and departments. And then I think, you know, we also use it as it pertains to value-based reimbursement. Uh, so in some of our contracts within some of our sites, uh, patient experience data uh, influences how we're paid. Do we know what percentage of patients actually fill these surveys out? I know we're given this information annually, but how many patients actually complete it? Usually about a third. So about 30%, uh, give or take, uh, fill out the survey. So given each provider, does this data that comes back represent a significant sample size or is it relatively small? It does. Um, and I'll say with an asterisk, all right? So it certainly does at a division or department level. Um, certainly at a site level and, of course, at an enterprise level, um, given the volume of patients that we see. On the individual provider level, it becomes a little bit more tricky. And, again, that was kind of uh, some of the reason behind writing the article um, because it has to do with volumes. As I mentioned, the surveys are distributed based upon the charges that a provider uh, submits. And so, yeah, as you can imagine, there are some specialties like dermatology or family medicine, pediatrics, internal medicine, even ER, where those providers are seeing a ton of patients, and so there's a ton of opportunities for them to get data back. There's other specialties that are, you know, primarily a lot of our uh, surgical specialties or some of our specialties where uh, physicians are spending an extended period of time with patients where they just don't see the large volume of patients to get an adequate number of surveys back. I think the other thing that should be uh, I think mentioned when you talk about sample sizes is over what period of time. So are we looking at the data over the course of a month, over the course of a quarter, over the course of six months, or over the course of a year? And so those things also influence the, the sample size. But generally when you're talking on a macro level, so you're talking a department, you're talking, you know, again, a site, you're talking an enterprise uh, for an organization like Mayo Clinic, you usually get a pretty decent number of surveys that, that gives you a really good power. So for individual providers, if that provider has a relatively small practice and not every patient receives a survey and only about a third of them who do receive a survey return it, you may be having a relatively small sample size. Right. So it doesn't take much to influence that score one way or another. Not at all. And, and, that, and it's one of the, the reasons that you know, and, and this is kind of what's, what's interesting and why you see such a widespread um, feeling of angst, if you will, amongst providers about patient satisfaction scores is because nobody's immune to a bad quarter. You right. know, like when, when, when the sample size is that small, one quarter, you know, you can be on top, you know, as it pertains to looking at your scores versus your peers. Another quarter, you're, you know, again, you get a few, you know, scores from a few patients that are, you know, unfavorable, and, and now all of a sudden your, your average scores are low. So it makes it so that essentially nobody's really immune, if you will, to uh, subpar scores. Mm -hmm. Now, you state in your article that clinician data can be influenced by a variety of factors. Uh, can you explain that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, number one, at its, at its core, the data is largely subjective, and, you know, it's based on a patient's perception of, of his or her care. Uh, and then furthermore, patients may attribute confounding factors to how they assess specific aspects of their care. So disease nature, uh, disease complexity, the, uh, you know, specialty uh, that, that patients are, are being seen in and the type of angst that that may bring versus not 
wayfinding, uh, the you know the interactions with staff other than the nurse and the physician, you know the interactions with folks on the way in, or even the the type of commute that someone had, you know they coming over right after work, or, or is it somebody who's traveling quite some distance to see us? Prior physician relationships, and then you get into the demographic biases like age, gender, and race. And I imagine if they had a good outcome as a result of their visit, they're probably feeling a bit better. If uh, they uh, got the drug they asked for, maybe you know that might influence it as well. Exactly, and and, and you bring up a, a really good point when you say that. You know, when we talk about patient satisfaction scores, there's this. I, I think that, and it's different for different organizations, again, given uh, some of the aforementioned factors that I mentioned. But, um, you know, I think that there's a sweet spot, if you will, as it pertains to, you know, the right patient satisfaction scores for an organization. You know, because, you know, I say if, if somebody had 100% patient satisfaction scores, you know, then that means that there's no stewardship of resources. You're just doing everything that the patient says. You're never disagreeing. You're never giving a different opinion. If they ask for this antibiotic, you give it to them. If they ask for this test, you give it to them. If they don't want that test, you don't do it. That means that there's probably not much diversity. Mm-hmm. Your, your patients and your providers are looking exactly the same, and everybody's 100% comfortable. In a place like Mayo, that means that they're probably not striving to be or three shield physicians because they're they're always available a hundred percent so they're never at a meeting or they're never out of the office or they're never writing a paper or 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 teaching so you know the 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 goal or the aim i think for organizations shouldn't necessarily be a hundred percent i think if you get a hundred percent you're probably doing something wrong Mm -hmm. um so you know i i think that there's a sweet spot you know because again like you said you know, if you disagree with a patient, uh, that may knock you down a little bit, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. We probably disagree with a lot of patient thoughts and requests, you know, to do what's in the best interest of the patient. Sure. This is Dr. Sharon Hayes. Join me and other leaders at the upcoming Equity and Inclusion in Healthcare Conference hosted October 25th and 26th, right here in Rochester, Minnesota. Course highlights include evidence-based processes to identify and address bias, roundtable discussions and experiential workshops, and development of new skills to increase the recruitment, retention, promotion, and development of talent within diverse workforce populations and our patient population. For more information, visit ce.mayo.edu slash equity2019. Catch us weekly at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Well, let's talk about your article now, the one uh, from the New England Journal of Medicine. Why don't you summarize the findings or what you set out to look for and then the findings? Sure. So what we did was we looked at um, the, the, you know, the, the patient satisfaction scores of the uh, African-American physicians in the Mayo Clinic Arizona primary care practices that spans uh, internal medicine and family medicine, and looked at their scores uh, when they saw black patients. So, you know, there we're talking patient-provider race concordance versus when they saw white patients and the types, uh, the types of scores that they would receive from those patients. Uh, as a control, if you will, we looked at um, non-black providers 
and the type of scores that they got when they saw black patients versus, um, you know, white patients. And we looked at the data over the course of three years just because of in sizes as it pertains to uh, black patient numbers uh, here at Mayo in, in Arizona just because, you know, we don't have a, an extreme amount of uh, racial diversity within the primary care practices. And so what we found was that when the black patients saw, uh, when the black providers rather saw black patients, their top box score was 94%. And what, what the top box means is that for any given survey question, those providers got the top box or the top score. Usually most of the questions are scored one through five, with five being the highest that a patient can give us. And so those providers scored a 94% top box when they saw other black patients. Well, the other interesting thing was, and almost invariably, for the score for the questions where they didn't get a five out of five, or a top box, they got a four out of five, which is still pretty good. Uh, on the other hand, when those same providers saw white patients, their top box score was 78%. And again, kind of looking at the distribution on, on the scores where they weren't given, of the questions where they weren't given five out of five, there was a larger, uh, more varied distribution of, of responses. Um, and we did not see this fluctuation in comparison when we looked at non-black providers seeing black patients versus white patients. So I'm curious. So you said you did look at uh, white physicians seeing black patients. Was that same finding noted there? No. Was so not. when so so when we and what we did was we just simply we simply made it so that all the providers that were non-black we had kind of as our control group, and when those providers saw white patients, their top box score was 85%, which is kind of in the ballpark range of where a lot of our providers score at Mayo. Usually our providers, again, depending on specialty and things like that, are usually scoring somewhere in the low 80%, um, and again, give, give or take. Uh, when those non-black providers saw black patients, the score was lower, but it wasn't as it wasn't as such a discrepancy. So the score was at 81%. Mm-hmm. So you're talking 81, 84%, um, and you know, in totality, I think that was somewhere around you know 20,500 you know patient surveys over the course of over the course of three years. So so not a huge difference mm-hmm. versus again those black providers had a swing of 78 to 94%. So there's a, a large discrepancy um, as it pertains to um, again the, the difference uh, between when they see patients that are you know, patient-physician race concordant versus discord. Okay. Well, it, it's known that healthcare providers uh, show unconscious bias when providing healthcare to patients of different races or a different gender. Do you think your patient experience data is an example of either unconscious bias or even conscious bias of patients with providers? Yeah, no, I, I you know what? I, I love the, this question um, because I think that when you know, when you have this conversation, you want to challenge both sides, right? So when you talk about, you know, bias from a provider's standpoint, you can say, well, hey, are, are, your, are the black providers, you know, doing something less, you know, when, when, when they're seeing, um, you know, white patients? And what's interesting, you know, however, is that there's data to suggest that black patients can um, and have received worse outcomes and are less compliant with white providers. 
um, but there's no data to suggest the inverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, you know, you know, kind of as an elephant in the room, a long history of racism and prejudice dating back to slavery and Jim Crow and, you know, including the healthcare system when it comes to black patients seeing non-black providers, things like Tuskegee experience, experiments and things like that. Um, but, you know, the white population in this country um, has largely not been victimized by another ethnic group um, in healthcare or otherwise. And so there's, you know, you know, again, that, that doesn't mean that there can't be, you know, again, bias both sides, but there's a, uh, an underlying level of skepticism that, you know, even if not fully agreed with, is understood when you talk about black patients approaching the healthcare system and seeing providers that are not like them in terms of, again, the, the, you know, racial and ethnic demographics. On the other hand, though, there, again, there's nothing to suggest that, you know, that a white patient will have a worse outcome uh, when seeing a provider who's not white unless, again, there's some form of stereotype, because then none of that's rooted in any type of evidence or historical um, experience at all. Mm-hmm. Well, based on your findings with patient experience data, and if these findings hold up when uh, larger studies are done, can we even consider the data on clinician experience uh, valid? Is it useful? Yes, and, and it, it certainly can and should be um, still considered valid. And I, I just think that it should be contextualized. And so, you know, I think with the article, you know, where I, I didn't try to walk a fine line, but I just kind of wanted to call it what it is. It's, it's like, yeah, this stuff's imperfect. And so you get all the folks that, that hate patient experience data and they stand up and clap. Then I say a big but, you know, and the, and, and the but is that you still got to look at the stuff. Because I just said, you know, and, and you know, in, in the beginning, and, and we talked about it in the beginning of the article, that, you know, where healthcare has become a consumer-centric business. It's a, it's a service just like you know other other industries, and um, and and again the competition for market share is is a real concern. Um, and so uh, what patients feel, what patients think matters, even if it's something that is somewhat um, invalid, if you will, scientifically, or something that is extremely uh, subjective. And again, I think that the power is in looking at the data on a systems level. But even individually, I think that, you know, again, there's lessons to be learned. You just have to contextualize it. Yeah. Well, this this brings up all kinds of interesting thoughts, like uh, what about the gender issue? Do uh, the same gender patient and provider, do they get rated higher than opposite gender patient provider? That's an amazing one. And I got a lot of feedback and questions about that in the wake of this article. And about maybe about a week or two after I, I published this article, there was some data that came out of Indiana. And um, there was a group of docs that looked at specifically that, to see if there was a gender difference uh, when looking at patient satisfaction scores, meaning, you know, when male, instead of looking at the different races of physicians, you know, male physicians, when they saw male patients versus female patients, or female physicians when they saw male patients versus female patients. And and then the study in in Indiana, what they did was just look at overall overall scores, meaning that the, the male physicians get higher scores, period versus the female physicians. No statistical uh, significance at all. But secondarily, they saw that there was a difference as it pertains to race. And not only African-American physicians 
there they saw a difference in Asian physicians and also Latino physicians. Amongst, amongst, so amongst gender, there was no statistical uh, significance. Again, that's just one study um, that, that, you know, that was done, and it was interesting because it came out maybe a week or two after, um, you know, my manuscript in, in the New England Journal of Medicine, but there was no difference. Mm-hmm. What's your plans now? Do you have plans to uh, look into uh, other interesting things? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I'm doing some stuff uh, as it relates to medical school admissions. I think as it, you know, in, in diversity initiatives within medicine, um, as it pertains to, you know, you know how to create and, and, and cultivate a diverse physician workforce, but I think as it pertains to patient experience, um, there's opportunities to maybe look at some of this data on a more robust, uh, uh, you know, on a more robust scale, and uh, you know, really delve into maybe some of the reasons behind, you know, why you see some of these differences, and see are there things that organizations or providers can do to influence those things. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for sharing this uh, fascinating article with us. And again, this is an article published by Dr. Poole on uh, February 28th, 2019, New England Journal of Medicine, and it's called uh, or entitled Patient Experience Data and Bias, What Ratings Don't Tell Us. And we've been discussing this article with Dr. Kenneth Poole, internist at Mayo Clinic. Kenny, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.